Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. mobilecom attention by both uh, Democrat and Republican National Committee folks. And um, it's good. It's good to see that there's, there's, a, there's a race, actually. Joining us now on the hotline, the 5th District Congresswoman, Johanna Hayes. Ms. Hayes, thanks for joining us. No, let's push the right button. Sorry, we got a little late to the draw on the button. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. Happy to be here. So schedule, as you know. I know, and I know you went to the uh, the funeral at Rentschler. I think that was very appropriate. Uh, must have been an incredibly moving, difficult time. I think it was for everyone in the state. It's not something that anyone can prepare themselves for um and it was absolutely just heart-wrenching for every person in the state of connecticut and i think across the nation sure sure um as i said uh, campaign hotly contested how's the campaign going it's good i mean this is we're in the home stretch this is all about turnout i have done the work and i'm reminding people of what i've done um the momentum, the energy around the campaign is as good as it's ever been. And I think that people know that not only am I passionate about the issues, I have a record to stand on. Are you, uh, are you at all surprised that, that your opponent is um, you know, really giving you a run for the money, particularly when your campaign has raised and outspent your opponent by a significant amount? Does that surprise you? Is he giving me a run for my money? I guess um, everybody I says he is. Well, I think we're matched in dollars because although he has not been able to raise the money in the district or doesn't have that kind of fundraising momentum, the Republican National Committees and Congressional Leadership Fund have put the money in his race. So we are actually operating with the same amount of money and the same amount of funds. I'm not so, so much not so much the money. Are you surprised it's such a tight race? I I guess I just disagree with you on that. That it's not a tight race. I guess, yeah, I think we have a differing opinion of that. Because, I mean, it seems, it seems like all of the polls indicate it's close. Real clear politics say it says it's a toss-up. Uh, the fact that for a rare occasion that national committees are pouring money into it, you've got a lot of outside money coming in as well. It seems like there's, there's some concern about whether or not you're going to be uh, continuing to serve in that seat. Well, I think the people will decide on November 8th. Um, when you talk about polls, uh, many of the polls that people quote are Republican internal polls. Um, 
real clear politics is one poll, 538 has a different opinion as we talk about polls. But when, I mean, you keep going back to fundraising locally. Well, no, you went to fundraising. Donation. I was just making a point, but, but I, that's not my point. The fundraising isn't my point. The closeness of the election is. But let's, let's move on to something else. We don't agree okay. with that, and that's okay. Um, we've seen, over the last two years, we've seen an uptick in violent crime around the country. We've seen an uptick in violent crime here in Connecticut. And I know you're from a law enforcement family, so I'm sure this wasn't your opinion. But, but this, uh, and particularly, we've seen an uptick year over year, over year with police, as we just witnessed in Bristol. Um, is, is there any correlation, do you think, between your progressive colleagues beating the drums of defund the police and calling police racists? Do you think there's any correlation of, of, of that to, to the uptick in violent crime, murders and rapes that we're seeing across the country here in Connecticut against police? Well, I'm from more than a law enforcement family. My husband served 25 years for the, in the Waterbury Police I, Department. I know. We appreciate I that. have seven. There are seven Democratic colleagues of mine who have made statements like that, and any credible journalist can do a five-minute Google search and see that I am not one of those people. Um, there's also been similar rhetoric on the other side of the aisle with Republicans like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and the likes calling to defund the FBI and the Department of Justice, which is also law enforcement. Uh, the people in this district know that I have consistently, consistently not only voted to support police, but brought back resources. I brought $9 million directly to local police departments in my district because I met with chiefs and they said we need help in these areas. Things like burn jag grants, cost grants, community violence prevention programs. I have consistently, not just in an election year, I mean, over my four years in Congress, voted to support um, school resource officers. So it is incredibly problematic that that narrative continues to be repeated when the people in this district, when uh, the media knows it's just not true when it comes to me in relationship to me. Well, so, and that's why um, I started by saying I knew you came from a law enforcement family, and I didn't think you were the one saying these things. I, I understand that. I think even but even more than coming from a law enforcement family, as the wife of a police officer, um, I voted. You know, I've brought back these resources, and my record shows that not just in relationship to my husband but in support that I brought back locally. So for the, that rhetoric to continue to be repeated over and over and over again. Well, it's not just January rhetoric, 6th, Congressman. I voted it's... to support Capitol Police, you know, so that they could have enhanced protection. I voted sure. for, you know, um, to honor the Capitol Police, things that my Republican colleagues voted against. So there's a fair share of rhetoric on both sides. So to just completely ignore the fact that, um, there are the most extreme uh, members of the other party also saying this. And, and there's a big difference. There's a big difference between majority. Marjorie Green Taylor calling for a defunding of the FBI and folks, uh, you know, progressive Democrats calling for defunding police. The major difference is nobody's defunded the FBI. Many places around the country have. The city of New York knocked off a, a, a billion dollars budget for new york and now the subways are not safe in new york so my question well, to you, you here in connecticut we have not defunded police you know but we have seen an increase out, we can i finish before sure, go ahead went out 27 percent of mayors had anticipated they would have to make significant cuts but 10 billion dollars of american rescue plan funds have been used to support local law enforcement 
You know, we just passed legislation to hire, recruit, retain, and give bonuses for law enforcement so that um, local communities could make sure that they are increasing their force. So let me just say on, on the record. I just want to say one last thing. We just passed legislation so that departments with less than 125 officers, which is the majority of my district, can get grants to support those efforts. So my entire time in Congress and as a Democratic majority, we have overwhelmingly voted for funding to support police. Okay. So... We, we don't question your record on that because I assumed that you were not a defund the police person. But the facts remain that over the last two years, since the rioting, since the, the, the horrible death of George Floyd, there's been a spike increase nationally and in Connecticut in violent crime. There's been an absolute increase of attacks against law enforcement officers. What, as, a, as, a, as a congressperson, a, a national federal representative, what, what do you, what, what, if, if, if it's not the defund police and the attacks verbally against police by progressive Democrats, what, what do you suppose is causing this, this rash of crime? Well, the Connecticut data um, suggests otherwise. But now, on violent crime, also, it doesn't. It, it says also, that there's a drop off in crime, but violent crime being murder, shooting, and rapes have increased year over year. As so have police also, attacks. We also have to get to the root causes of, of these things. Um, so absolutely supporting local law enforcement, making sure that we have, you know, treat, addiction and treatment programs, making sure that we have jobs available for people. So there's an absolute correlation, but we also have to look at what are the root causes of many of these things. Okay. When you but, brought up uh, George Floyd just, in, just a few minutes ago, the thing with that that people were so was the accountability piece. And I can tell you, coming from a law enforcement family, that good cops don't want bad cops on the job. We hear about 99% of police officers are doing the right thing, are there for the right reasons, do their job every day, are in service to their communities. If we can't all agree that what we saw play out publicly on video was so egregious, Oh, it was. And there's no, there's no question there. I just bring so that up because that was the starting point. No accountability. You know, we. I also, you know, I represent law enforcement, but I also have a responsibility to the entire community. And I'm going to continue to support law enforcement in the way that I always have done with my voting record. You know, to keep saying something over and over doesn't make it true. Anyone well, again, and I've said twice already, Congressman, Congress, please, Congresswoman. Let's not I'm not filibuster. talking about you saying it over and over again. I'm talking well, about. Well, I'm, I'm talking to you now. I, no one else again. is talking. You and I are talking. No one else is talking. But I, so I'm going to make the point that Republicans, the Connecticut GOP, just put out something yesterday that I don't support law enforcement. A five-minute search by anyone. Well, and I never even never even suggested everything that I voted for, everything that I've supported over the entire time that I've been here, and that I've never once said or supported or this idea of defunding the police. I never, absolutely support law enforcement. Never never suggested otherwise, never would imagine that you would have. I was asking a, broad, a broader question really about Democrats and particularly progressives. Let's, let's, uh, let's switch here. Um, national polls, Gallup, Malmuth, uh, uh, Duquette, uh, Duquette, if you look at any national polls, um, Americans rank economic woes as their most important concern, be it Gas prices, oil prices, food, 
any number of economic issues. If you split economic issues out and look at just other issues, those polls rank abortion as either fourth, fifth, or seventh in the minds of American voters. Yet it seems like you and other Democrats are really kind of focused on abortion. And I guess the question I ask is, if, if why are you and American people are not? on the economy as well. I mean, there are, when you are a member of Congress in this role, you have to focus on many things at the same time. The issue of abortion only came up because the Supreme Court overturned Roe in June. And people have said to me, yes, the economy, we're concerned about the economy, but also recognizing that the economy is cyclical and these global markets are volatile. If we don't address women's reproductive health, we just put it on the, the shelf and go back to it later. Once women's rights are eviscerated, they're gone. You know, and people are very concerned about this because this has been 50 years in the making. All of these conservative justices promised that they would uphold Roe if it came down to a vote, and they did not. So I'm hearing from people. The economy is very important, the number one issue in this district. And when I talk to people and explain to them that over the last, the second quarter of this year, the four biggest oil companies in this country have collectively had over $50 billion in profit, the largest ever on record. This is about greed. You know, there's so many things that are factors that are influencing the economy, the war in U- Ukraine, uh, the lack of competitiveness in our market. Well, I don't, I don't so really want to go to energy because if we did, we'd have to talk about the president's war on fossil fuels and the fact that from his second day in office, inflation started. Prices on gas started going up. And we go begging to places like Venezuela and Saudi Arabia. We, we beg for oil in other places when we could produce everything we need right here. So that's the a whole other conversation. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. A couple weeks ago. The second day in office, we were in a global pandemic. And I think that this further um, amplifies the idea that we need to be more energy independent so we don't have to worry, rely on other countries. I mean, I think everybody is is really forgetting the fact that we just had a global pandemic, the likes of something we've never seen before. So to say, you know, during Biden's time in office, when he started oil prices or gas prices were the lowest they had been, People were shuttered in their homes, and no one was well, out. Not everybody. They weren't in Florida. They were shuttered here in Connecticut. They weren't in Florida. Well, the second day in office, President Biden canceled the XL pipeline construction. So that's why I bring up the second day in office. That's a fact. Anybody could Google that in 38 seconds and find out that on this, his second day in office, he canceled the XL pipeline. But let's, let's move to another subject. A couple weeks ago, um, nice to have Vice President Harris here to help bolster the campaign. And uh, you guys had a meeting, and it was curious that um, as bad as the economy is, you, you didn't invite an economic expert. As bad as Putin's war in Ukraine is, you didn't invite a geopolitical expert. But in fact, the president of Planned Parenthood was invited to come. I say that because I'm wondering where you stand on abortion from this perspective. Of all of, of childbearing age women, in the United States of America, black women make up 14%. Of all of the abortions performed in the United States, black women 
make up 36%, except in cities like states like Mississippi, where 79% of the abortions are performed on black women, 59% in Alabama, and even in where you serve in Washington, D.C., 60% of the abortions are are from black women. Now, let me ask you a question. Do those numbers represent equality and equity to you? Well, first of all, the vice president was here. It was not to bolster my campaign. It was on the official side on this issue. And as a black woman, I would argue that I probably have a better perspective on this than you do. I'm just reading a study that this study was done by the Center for Urban Renewal and Education. It's a public policy report. It was was partially. So once again, let me let me try to help you understand something. This issue doesn't begin and end in the doctor's office. When Republicans are voting against paid family leave, against health care, against child care, against, you know, trying to bolster food security, all of the things that help people to raise healthy children. Women are forced to make these gut-wrenching decisions. This idea that people are just deciding in a flippant way. No one said that. No one said that. Don't don't change the story. Listen, I'm a pastor. I've dealt with people who've had abortions. No one is suggesting that this is a lightly made decision or it's made flippantly. So please, don't insult insult the conversation. This is the hardest thing that people have to do. I understand that. But my question is, the question is... No one's questioning that's a hard decision. No one's questioning that's made flippantly. No one's questioning that's made casually. So the is question is why, why, when black women are and you're, the, the black population is being eviscerated by abortion. Any culturist will tell you you need a 2.11 percent birth rate to to may, be able to continue to, to uh, continue a culture. The black birth rate's on about 1.6 percent. My question to you is, as a black woman and as a powerful congressperson. Why aren't you doing more to stop and figure out? You you mentioned causes. What are you doing to stop abortion? Because it's a plague on the black community. What am I doing? I am leaving the choice up to a woman and her doctor. I'm making sure that men aren't making those choices for women, that states aren't making those choices for women, that a woman can go in in consultation with her doctor and make probably the most consequential decision of her life with her doctor, without government intervention. That is what I'm doing in this conversation. To add all of these nuances changes the core issue, which is abortion decisions should be made with a woman and her doctor, full stop. Not me But, but you, you yourself, Congressman, you yourself, you, you yourself said that it's not just the, the issue that ends in the doctor's office. There's underlying causes. I agree. Uh, you said the same thing about violent crime. It's not just defund the police. There's underlying issues. I don't have time to ask you about the southern border, but I can guarantee what your first answer and response will be. Oh, we need comprehensive immigration reform. My question to you is. Actually, you don't know me that well. That would have well, been my first answer. Okay. But, so what am I doing? But my I'm question to you is, what, what are we doing to solve the underlying causes well, gonna, that's so causing. I'm going to tell you right before I wrap up, because I'm walking into an event. I voted to raise the minimum wage. I voted to for Family Medical Leave Act. I voted for work training programs so that um, people can be self-sufficient and get good-paying jobs. I voted for safe and affordable housing so that people can live in, in the communities where they work. I voted for all of these things, for expanding health care, to protect Social Security, 
to make sure, I mean, that's not a vote yet for Social Security, but it's on the chopping block, and it's something that I have voted to support and expand. So all of the things that help people live full and productive lives in our communities, all of the things, those gaps that we saw at the beginning of the pandemic where we had so many people who had been struggling for years, and now we had a global pandemic, and those same populations were dying because they had lack of access to all of the opportunities that exist in our community. I voted for all of those things. So I'm going to continue that work. Um, I'm happy to have had the opportunity to talk to you. Um, but these are multifaceted problems that require multifaceted solutions. Um, and, and it cannot just be you know, a cudgel on everything. We have to look at the wraparound services, all of the supports, so that people can be self-sufficient and stand on their own. That's how, that's what I've done to help my community, you know, and my record, not just my passion for the issues, but my record supports everything I just said. Congressman, I want to thank you for coming on today. It's a, it's a rare and special occasion that we ever get a Democrat legislator to come on the program, and I'm really glad. I, I truly mean this. I'm invited to. I'm truly glad that you came on record. today, and uh, thank you for your time and and uh, best of wishes for the election. Absolutely, you have a wonderful day. Me too. Thank you. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network, from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.